and welcome to another episode of Allies of Convenience, the international competitive Warhammer 40,000 podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Logan, and we are back with another mini-sode uh, to tide you over your Christmas break. This time, we speak with Tony Chu, a very prominent English ETC player uh, and regular on the UK scene. Uh, he speaks to Matt Robertson about list building, which is very, very important, of course. Uh, our favourite hobby, uh, probably more so than playing. Um, I know a lot of you guys have maxed out top score in uh, Army Builder. Um, and yeah, they're talking about how to construct a list, the importance of uh, things like obsec and command points, fitting stuff into the list, maybe as a vanity, uh, just stuff that you like the look of. Can you make that work? How important is that? And then the, the conversation kind of went off on the current state of things and how Games Workshop are dealing with... Um, Things that maybe need to be addressed, of course, Chapter Approved just come out and uh, the new announcement regarding the timeline and the beta rules which have been given to us as well. So loads of really interesting chat with a very, very high level player. Uh, so hopefully you enjoy this one and now we will hand it over to Mr. Matt Robertson. Hi guys, Matt here. This week I'm joined by Tony Chu. Afternoon, evening, morning, wherever you are, people. Yeah, and for once, he's actually awake and able to join me. Yeah, with the you know, babies, they, they make you sleepy. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? So we're going to have a ch quick chat, not going to be too long, just about list building and a few of the things that we look for in writing a list that might be useful for everybody else. And hopefully a couple of bits you've not thought of or reassuring you that the things you are doing are the right things to do. Or potentially not coming from us too. <laughs> I was going to say that's probably, we're not going to be good for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you have some ideas. So uh, we'll cover what we've been looking at in lists and things we've been trying to pick out. And then we've just had chapter approved drop and we've just had a new announcement from GW about an hour ago. So we'll touch on that as well. So probably not new by the time this gets out though. <laughs> yeah. So, when you're writing a list, Tony, what are the basic key bits you're looking at and thinking of? So, I try to, whenever I have a list, I don't like to have it skewed down one focus where it's kind of all assault or all shooting. Or I like to have a mixture of units that will give me tools in every phase of the game. I think that's a really important thing because you don't, you know, you, do, you don't want to necessarily always have a, an all-comers list that's got like one of every unit but you want to be able to react in every phase of the game. I know that sounds really, really simple, but, you know, obviously past movement, it's talking about um, reasonable shooting units, close range for, you know, taking out hordes, long range for reaching out and touching units far away or hiding. Assault, you've got to be able to deal with, you know, a Magnus charging into your lines, as well as you're being spammed by conscripts charging at you. So that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. I mean, I think the only thing at the moment is, I think you can take or leave it, and you, you can tell me different that because I know that I know your chaos list at the moment um, uses a lot of it is psychic phase, and I think you either invest in that or you can just probably pass that by because I think it's quite easy to to put heavy counters on the psychic phase at the moment. Yeah, I think the psychic phase um, it's probably worth touching on now. I was going to say you could go heavy smite, or you can go yeah. units that rely on a lot of powers, or you go cool like depends what powers you've got in a book, I suppose like. Mm. Chaos, for example, you've got Warp Time, which is brilliant, and Prescience, which is great, and the others are good, but I think they're the key too, so I tend to slot them in any list, because extra to hit and extra movement, it's not 
doing much in the psychic phase, but it's just buffs for the rest of your army. And it's that nice tool, isn't it? It's, it's catching somebody out, or it's a little bonus that somebody doesn't expect, or your whole list doesn't revolve around it, but it, it works nice as a little buff. Yeah, but then if you've got things where some, like Magnus, for example, he's relying quite heavily on it, mm. and then you're starting to see more and more things that can stop it. Yeah. I think that that's I mean that's another concern when you come to this building. I always try to look at lists I think I'm going to face at a tournament because often I mean I often build a lot of lists to play at tournaments. I play friends I play casual pick up play usually building for the next big tournament around the corner, you know, and that's because that's a boy, you know, as uh, big boys who want to get free time away from the uh, the wives and the girlfriends, we usually have to plan our free time carefully. So it's kind of you want to take a list that's going to work for you. Um so it's, it's it's interesting. I always look at like in the moment I'd be looking to counter a Magnus list, Dark Reaper list, and probably a, like a Guard Artillery list. Those are three at the moment I think are really really sticking out as lists I've seen a lot of tournaments. Yeah, so it is it's one of those things where you tend to some players will use events as just an excuse to go away, play some games. You've got mm-hmm. people who are looking at going cool. I just want to test a lot of different bits, so this is the best chance we get to play a variety of things. They've got people like, right, I want to try and win, I want to try to do the best I can, what's the best bits and pieces I've got? Yeah. I know me and you both went to Blood and Glory probably a couple of months ago now, and it's probably fair to say we both took lists that were a little bit wacky. Yeah, because uh, you had your, your mass chaos one up. You had lo- loads of different units, and I had like, I had Raven Guard, but I was going for anti infantry because I wanted to try out lots of different things. So like, infiltrating Devastators, Scout Bikes, particularly good big unit of Vanguard, you know, Stone Guard veterans, Richard Bolters. So yeah, wacky's the way though, because I think that's another thing I like doing when you do list building. If you build something wacky, people don't necessarily know how to directly counter it because they haven't practiced it, they haven't played it. They don't know what you're going to do with it. And I think that's always a nice tool to have in your arsenal. Yeah, because I looked at that event. And going into that, I, I said, right, I want to play Chaos. What's good in Chaos at the moment? Magnus is good. Yeah. Tyrion's good. The big things, they were what were popular and doing well at the time. I was like, I don't want to play them. I want to kind of play through the book myself and yeah. try everything and go, right, okay, this is where I'm going to settle on, rather than just look at a list and go, I want to do that. So I took a bit of everything came away from the event and did somewhere mid-table, pretty average game-wise, but I went, okay, that list where I took a bit of everything. That unit didn't perform. That unit performed better than I thought it would. That unit was okay. I'll give that another try, maybe take another unit of those, and it showed like the strengths and weaknesses in the list and what needed tweaking and what did well, which I find, for me anyway, I love doing that with a book. So I'll sit yeah. and I'll play all the options and work out because even if your netlist, say Eldar netlist at the moment, you've got 30 Reapers. Yeah. I couldn't play that because my style isn't just have the firebase and the other bits and pieces. It doesn't suit the way I want to play the game. No, and I think I, I probably back you up on that. I like, I like taking things that are, that are different. I don't like having the same list as the person on the table next to me and the person after that. And I agree with you, the Reaper list looks, looks boring to play. Um, I suppose the worst list I've ever had with that I've used is the all, all flyers list I used at the Cali, you know, a little while back. But I don't think I'd play that again because it, it's actually it's not fun. The games aren't close. It's really one-sided um, as a list because I mean even at recent events you still see people spamming flyers because it isn't that easy to table 
um, a fly list still. And you just, it's it's not as fun. Yeah, I found yeah. similar using a fly list about a month or so before that, I think it was. Mm. I was like, cool, okay, right, that's what that does. I don't need to play that again. I've seen what it does. I feel I can mm. do better things with things. But another thing that's great with list building as well, I found, is if there's a certain thing you're struggling against, yeah. if you can, play a few games with the army, and you really mm. get to see the strengths and weaknesses of a list. Yeah, it's always nice to flip it over and have a go at that unit yourself and see how it works. And you get a, especially I think with some with, with big units where you think, oh my gosh, this unit is so indestructible, like a Magnus that's powered up, it's impossible to counter. He moves twice. He's you know he's got a three plus in run. There are ways around it. You've got to just understand that unit and how it works. I think. Yeah, because if you understand your opponent's thinking and what they yeah. want to do with that model, you know what it wants to do. So you know what you need to do to stop them doing that. Yeah, that's it, and it brings us back around to the, you go, well, bring, you bring a list where you've got random units they don't understand, they don't quite know how to do it, that's how you can hopefully get the jump on someone in a matchup where maybe you should probably lose on paper, or you, you know, people would expect you not to be able to counter it, so. Yeah, because I know I took a lot of schools to an event recently, yeah. and I have to say, it performed okay in every game, didn't perform yeah. 600 points worth of great, but it was the first thing everyone shot in every game. Well, it, you know, recent, most recent list I've taken to a tournament was featured assault terminators, and the amount of people that pired firepower into assault, assault terminators that were not a threat to anyone—they <laughs> just literally were standing there going, "Yeah, we're going to move five inches a turn, extra inch with Gilliman." You know, it's it's crazy. But you put a big target in something, you put it out front. People, people just—they go back to their old, you know, their old 40k thinking. They go back going, "Oh, that's the big unit I'm going to shoot at. That's the big target." So I, I, I do like playing that kind of game. Yeah, it's the great distraction pieces, especially in a state at the moment where a lot of people won't exactly know what every unit does because everything's changing so quick. So I think if you're using units other people aren't, you're going to throw people off the game. This is it. I mean, strat- stratagems as well. I think stratagems are a really clever move by Games Workshop because they allow you to catch people out and make little tactical moves without throwing it the power levels out in a way that formations did, um, maybe at the end of 7th edition. Um, yeah, the nice little limited buffs here and there, which I, I really like, and I think it'd be great because it's an extra level of tactics as well, of when to use what as well, and on what unit as well. I know I've said in one of your other podcasts you've done recently, you talked about command points. Do you? I, I, I kind of like to have some command points, but I don't make that a big focus of my list building, unless I know, you know, unless you want to use, for example, a Raven Guard stratagem and you want to infiltrate like four or five units. I just kind of like having them there, but they're not the be-all and end-all. Yeah, I think that kind of depends on what you want the list to do, or if you design the list with using them in mind, or if you just design the list and they're an added bonus. Yeah. I think, depending on your books, I think some books suit more than others of having it built around that idea. Yeah, definitely. So I know for... Uh, the missions, like the standard missions in the rulebook, I'm looking at them and going, okay, I want you want some bodies because it gives you a bit of board presence and you can do a lot of little tricks if you can like hiding guys and what I found is and it catches people out a lot, if you've got a big unit and some way to make them auto-pass morale or even if it's just with command points, you I've done this a few times. You spread them out, you cover three or four objectives with them, 
and then you have the rest of your army pushing forward and threatening, and yeah. then the rest of your army falls apart mid to late game, and you've yeah. got this unit and a couple of bits and pieces, and you go, okay, I can concentrate on that unit now. Yeah. I've been leaving, say I've got 30 guys, and they kill all but five. Mm-hmm. I'll leave one guy on each objective yeah. with obsec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one guy to sit and get a fearless from somebody or use command points and just go, cool. These guys can never move for the rest of the game. But well, it's turn five, they're on the objectives, <laughs> they're still here. And people are like, I've just killed 35 guys off it, 25 guys. But it didn't actually make a difference. Nope, because they've still got the four individual sods left in range, and you know, that one's hiding next to Abaddon, who's in a corner yeah. behind the wall, for example. Oh, you've got two command points, you start them and just go, nope, they're still here, and people go, oh shit, I did not realise you can do that. Yeah. So, I love having a big unit of some kind in the list, just to either, you can screen if you're against an aggressive list that wants to run at you, you can sit it back and just cover objectives while distracting the rest of your army, so, for me, most See, that's, of that's, have something like that. That's tough for me because I play mostly mostly power armored based lists, and you don't, you know, unless you're chaos and you've got the cultists or the pox walkers, you can draft in some conscripts. But I don't generally like to do that. I like to pick, you know, uh, maybe taking assassins and you know Celestine and things like that. It's little, those little buff units in a list is nice, but I don't like having like a big unit of conscripts followed by Gilliman, followed yeah. by Sisters of Battle, and then with an Admech. Do you mean with a Dune Crawler and then a Imperial Knight? I mean that doesn't sound like a particularly great list. Like, <laughs> but you know, but you know what I mean. I don't like to mix it up too much to get all the, the tools. I like to limit myself a little bit. I mean, uh, do you think Obsec is a big thing in this edition? Because I, I haven't used it. I haven't picked, pick, haven't yet to use any troops units really, unless I've really, really had to or thought it could give me a buff somewhere. I haven't taken them. Um, um, it's nice to have. It's a nice bonus, but. I can't really say I write lists with that in mind no. because I feel the raw damage output is that great in the game at the moment that things are going to die and you're going to have an empty objective with a guy from one army or another army. You're not really having too many that are contested, which we might yeah. see more and more if armies kind of move away from the big things and use those points on little guys. So there's more models, so they're not all going to die. I think yeah. it may come into it more. And I think going on to chapter approved as well, it yeah. is going to become a little bit more of a thing because of some of the missions in there. Uh, well, the, the new mission sets look really interesting, don't they? I mean, it, it, yeah. I've, I've been to a few tournaments that use different combinations. I, I would hope that tournaments going forward will be a combination of Eternal War and Maelstrom because I, I don't, I still don't like single ones where you have just Eternal War or just Maelstrom. Because I think from the rulebook, they still swing too much over who goes first, who goes second, and where the objectives get placed. Yeah, I much prefer having some form of mid-scoring every turn, and then yeah. something yeah. at the end of the game as well. Yes, yeah, completely agree. It just adds that other layer of tacticalness. So. Yeah, because you can play the long game as well as the look of the draw from the card set. I mean, I played my last game of Death of Glory. Um, against Tim Dagnall, and I think you know, if it'd been kill points or anything else, he would have still smashed me because it was he was demon summoning list against Marine infantry. And I didn't really have an answer, but we were playing progressive, like just Maelstrom rather than end of game missions. And I, he just got he was nineteen five up by like three turns in, just because look at the draw. I mean, 
that's I know it's a game of luck, but if the game of luck is you drew cards that are better than mine, there are no tactics involved there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think you'd do you plan your list differently? So if you know you're at an event where it's just Eternal War compared to an event where it's using both, do you tend to look at the missions when you're writing a list, or do you kind of write your list and then go, okay, I'm playing these missions? I think I. I've, I've done a mixture of events now, and I, I, generally I try to build a list to, I try to build a list that's got some sort of tactical theme behind it, and then I don't necessarily look closely at the missions unless there's something wacky and I know they're going to put in. Um, I mean, the, I said the, the biggest one is the the recent Element Games Grand Slam had um, had the progressive and it had the kill points in it as well as well as the end of game scoring. So I was that one I did design a list that was hard to give up kill points because that's an extra point eight point swing that was in play for every mission. Otherwise, I'd say, now I come up with a theme for the list, I want something, the, the way I want the list to play, and, and I generally have an idea that it should be able to play Maelstrom, and it should be able to play Eternal War. Sound a bit, a bit too general, I don't know. Well, I'll be honest, that's kind of the way I do things as well, because you've yeah. got so many events doing so many different things at the moment. I yeah. find I'm going, right, okay, this is my list, this is what I want to play. I'll look yeah. at the pack and go, Okay, right, we're doing that. So maybe this extra unit here isn't needed for that little bit, but I yeah. won't make the list for the pack. I might just do little tweaks. Because yeah. I feel if you change too much, you have to learn it again. Yeah, and I don't, I, you know, like the, my past, last three tournament events, I've used a mech heavy list, a flyer list, a character list. I've just been trying different different variations of the Marine Codex. I've been doing what you, like you just said earlier, but about the Chaos List, going through the book, trying all the units, seeing how things work. Um, and there are some gems out there. The Forge World stuff I'm on the fence about. I don't know if that's going to stay, if that's going to become mainstream, because it seems to be pushing itself back into mainstream use. Uh, and that's regularly FAQ'd, and the you know the books are easily available rather than being these fifty-five pound tombs that are hard to get hold of. Um, yeah, because I know that's everywhere in the States, I think majority of events there are allowing Forge World, like the bigger ones, whereas it's still probably 50-50 over here. Yeah, I think Forge World has a bad rep, but I mean, you know, you look at the recent uh, chapter crew stuff, it's got Forge World's price, worth, price changes in it as well, do you know what I mean? You've got, you've got variations in points, they've got FAQs coming out, so I think if they're going to go into that level of detail for it, you have to go, fair enough, we'll use it. Um, you know, things like the recent Lord of Change, well, that was... That was comped considerably, went up to 1,500 points, didn't he, now? Yeah, so you're not going to see them anymore. No, but equally, that could win you a game on his own um, previously, trolling around people with 2d6 last cannon shots all the time. So, not sad to see that go, to be fair. (laughs) It's like, with um, what I can see going forward now is for mission packs, events are going to start using, I think this is what we've been discussing in the UK anyway, uh, a mix of the old Eternal War and Maelstrom with the new Eternal War and Maelstrom. Yeah, that, that'll be nice. I think if you see an event packs, say, here's 12 missions, we're playing six of these and six of these, you don't know what they're going to be. I think that's going to change the meta a lot, and you're going to have to see people going away from the extremes a little bit as well, potentially. I agree with that completely. And you know what? I think it'll also help... It, it, It'll make it more of a challenge to win win games at tournaments because you've got to you've got to know your missions. Whereas before, I think you know 
the end of seventh, start of eighth, we were going, okay, well, these are the five missions we're always going to play, and we're always kind of in this order, because um, we're very much based off the ETC pack, wasn't it? And, yeah. And that kind of set of missions. So if you've got 12 possible, well, six Maelstrom, six Eternal War, and you're going to combine that in any way you want, that's great. It makes it really exciting. I mean, hopefully, the only thing that's not in there that I'd like to see is just something to regulate objective placement. So you can't just have one person who wins the deployment zone role and all the objectives are over there. Yeah, I would love um, to have just a roll-off after objectives are placed for sides. I think that would fix so much. That, that would be really simple to change, I think, for um, for competitive play. Really. Right. I think for winning tournaments, that's it. You know, rather than you know, open, play, open play narrative play, that's fine. You can. You could you still stack one side, yeah. but then you're still a dice roll to get that side. So... Yeah. A lot of players won't want to take that gamble, and it's that's still the same as is now. But at least there's a chance element to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the new. Well, I suppose we might as well. Should we shift over to the new chapter approved that's come out? Because we're kind of dicing around that in terms of the yeah the, the recent hour-long stuff an hour ago that came out. I was just going to say um, some of the missions. I'm not sure we'll see all like just the Eternal War for that. I'm not sure we'll see all six of them. In well, there's the one with the. There's the one where you put a third of your army on the table, isn't it? And then two thirds of it in reserves. Yeah, that's that really messy. And yeah. That, I can see if that's used in events, it will. It's going to mess up a lot of lists, but then it kind of benefits others because, say, you've got a three super heavy guard army. Yeah. And you're. I'm just reading it just as we talk, just to double check. So, each divides down to three forces, the number of units in each as possible. Ah, before rolling a D3 to randomly select one. So, yeah. I was going to say you could put all your big tanks in one, hope you get that, and go, cool, here's 1,800 points. But then you also don't want to turn up with 150 points. But, I mean, again, I mean, that come back to, I mean, we started off talking about list building. You could design it for that, couldn't you? Go, I'll have three, three super heavies, but then my other one is three units of conscripts, or two units and a, you know, the, the, what they call them, um, Valhallen conscripts with the guy with the relic that makes them all, it's like the old commissar role, isn't it, really? Yeah. And then you can have three Kulexus assassins. So you've either got loads of guys to shoot through, loads of assassins that are hard to hit, or three massive tanks. <laughs> um, and you can't be tabled quite easily, because at least you get your reserves turn one. Yeah. First time I heard about that, I thought it was that they were setting people up for a turn one tabling, but it was... Uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, you have a free push, you get units in the end of turn one. So even if you go second, unless you're yeah, really my, unlucky. My only, my only, I suppose coming back to it, I suppose my only concern with that is tournaments struggle to have two hour, 45, two and a half hour, three hour games and to get finished and get five turns. And we've both seen tournaments recently where people go, I've, I played three turns and it wasn't really fair. And Do you know what I mean? The more combinations you add in, the more, I suppose, the casual gamer can run to a tournament and hasn't maybe learnt, you know, memorised the rule book and doesn't know all the missions off by heart, he's going to struggle to get that combination right. Or, do you know what I mean? Especially if you've not pre-designed with or thought about that before the event and you're trying to yes. work out what to do when against yeah. a certain army. Oh, I might do this or that because of what they've got, rather than just going, screw it, this is what I do with my army. Every time I do that, I might change one unit here or there. Yeah. But I think that's going to mix it up. And I also think the Ascension, I think it's called, is yeah. where you need characters. I think that's going to 
that's quite an interesting one because you're seeing like the Eldar Reaper list we've gone over before. Normally, what we're seeing is a Farseer, an Autark, two Warlocks maybe. Yeah, yeah. And they want to be near the firebase at the back of the board. But Rather than spread out all over. Yeah. If you're have to be in the middle of the board on the objectives, they don't want to be there because that's where the opponent's army is. Well, this is, wait. To be fair, there was a point when they brought out their new character update after the chapter approved, and then they brought that mission rule out. But no teasing it. I was like, oh my word, that is going to make character lists even more ridiculous than they could be. <laughs> that's probably worth mentioning the character update that's just come out there. Yes. Yeah. So. so well, yeah, I've got to be honest, right? That is what I thought the update was going to be. When chapter yes. proof was teased that they were going to say you can't screen characters with other characters. That, really easy. And then they out of the blue, it was that if a character's behind a wall um, and there's another character just behind him in line of sight, the guy behind the wall stops the other guy being shot. Um, Where did that come from? <laughs> they also missed out the word characteristic. Yes, yeah, that, that's... Uh, so that's it, well. it was just a character with wounds of less than 10. So if you had Magnus, who'd taken nine wounds and had nine left, he now has less than ten wounds. But I wondered if that was intentional, you see. I thought that, actually, I thought that was really good, because things like Magnus, you could play the Reaper list, lose half his wounds, but then not die, and then go, right, well, I've still got half a Magnus. Still pretty scary. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Then then suddenly the the support units around it are really playing a part in the game. Um, So we now have the... Unofficial, but they w- I can see these just being used by everybody in every event. Cause... I think if they're... Do you know what? I think they, they've mentioned two massive tournaments in the US that are going to use them, and they've released them as PDFs on the on the website. I yeah. think people are going to say, you know what? Let's try it. And let's. I think everybody agrees that they're sensible rules, which is nice to see. Um, yeah. Got to commend you, W. I think they've done a really great job this edition with their FAQs. They're chasing things. They're improving things. Yeah. So long, long will that continue? It's a little bit annoying that it's not all been streamlined and fixed up front, but mm. I love the fact that they are doing their best because they might not have noticed something. They go, okay, yeah, we missed this. We're going to do this. We're going to fix it. They're listening. They're interacting. It's great. And I think give it a year's time of community input and their design mode, we're going to have a really solid game. Yeah, this is it, and I think that, you know, so, I mean, some codexes have been obvious winners, like things like the Eldar book, but I think I think the, the codexes are generally starting to balance out power level-wise, and there's lots of cool tactics, and there's not just one way to play each book, which is really nice. Um, fingers crossed they do the right thing to my orcs. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just read out what the new Titan character rule is for anyone who yeah. hasn't seen it yet, because uh, I realise we kind of got sidetracked. Uh Basically, an enemy character with a wounds characteristic of less than 10 can only be chosen in the Titan shooting phase if it is both visible to the firing model and is the closest enemy unit to the firing model, which is standard, what we knew about. And then you have ignore other enemy characters with a wounds characteristic of less than 10 when determining if the target is the closest enemy unit to firing a model. And I like that on the website they put the little spiel that says... Kilexis assassins aren't meant to be used as some sort of post-human ablative shield. (laughs) (laughs) More more like psychic hunters. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair enough. If you're running around with five characters, shoot whichever the hell you want. No more just shoot the front one. Which is true. Do you know what I mean? And that that is exactly what I thought it would be. And it just means that all character lists... Because I I think we both know somebody who was trying a list that had 
60 characters in it. 64. 64. <laughs> it, it I mean, that me. is... <laughs> no, but, but it's 64 characters. That is just not... Again, if you come to a tournament and you want to come and you want to have a fun time, you've not been before, and you turn and play that, you think, oh, God, why did I bother coming? <laughs> Do you know what, what I mean? What is this nonsense? Yeah, it's not great. But um, but there's but I mean I also like that what they tackle with. Do you want to do the the smite one now as well? Yeah, or? yeah, we can do smite. Which I think I've heard like grumblings from people about smite and how if you just have loads of smite it can be really because you can't stop that many and it's so simple to cast. Yeah. So they've now kind of toned it back a little bit. So. Yeah. So so are you gonna read that one or? Uh, yeah, I've got it on my screen, so I'll just read it out. Uh, with the exception of Smite, each Psychic Power can be attempted once per turn, rather than once per Psychic per turn, which is as it was in the rulebook. And yeah. Then the additional line they have in now is, in addition, subtract one from the result of any Psychic test taken when attempting to manifest Smite for each other attempt, successful or not, that's been made to manifest Smite during the Psychic phase. So you get first one's five, second one's a six, your third is seven, your fourth is eight, you see, I think a good, a good, that's, that's a good comp because it still lets you actually have lots of psychic units in your list. Um, you can, just, if you play it clever and you've got like um, psychers that have bonuses to cast or things, rerolls to cast, you can stagger out which psychers do their smites in which order. Um, so you can guarantee yourself the, the, you know, the volume of D3s and mortal wounds. Um, but it just stops. I mean, the, I know they stamped on the malefic lord list when they did the price pricing again on different units. Because they were silly. Yeah. 30 points for a smite, and then they went, you know, um, super-powered demon prince-esque when they, when they perilsed. But, I mean, look at primary psychers. I'm surprised that they're still as cheap as they are, because, really, they're only just missing the 4 plus in them. Yeah, I think they went up a touch. Way. Yeah, I think they could have put up a bit touch as well, but it is what it is. I think, that, I think that's a nice comp, though. The, I like it because it stops you having all these psychers. However, it is quite interesting to see what they do with... Because I'm assuming the Demon book is already written, hopefully with this in mind, but say the yeah. Grey Knight book, where you're, everyone's a psyche, everyone can cast, but it's only on one dice. Yes. So after two, where you've only got one in for your chance to cast it, you can't cast anymore. But again, is it, is it to stop people just going, wait, you take a Grey Knight list and you just spam out little smites all the way through? But I think um, they've already stopped that with it only being on a one dice and a five plus. I think that kind mm. of so even if you've got nine, you're only really getting three off, which yeah. isn't too crazy. It's the, kind of the same as if you have nine scaling on a plus one, you're probably only going to get four maybe. Yes. Yeah. So I think then I'd be interested to see if that changes at all because I think that and same with like brimstones and horrors and pink horrors. I think they, hopefully the Demon Book has something in that kind of works alongside this. Yeah. But it could be interesting to see how it works with those armies and if it messes with them too much. I've not played them, so I don't know exactly how big a thing that will be, potentially. I think the, the, the little smites are nice, aren't they? But they're not the be-all and end-all in those lists. I think the, the, that's what, the biggest thing for the Demon Book is, do we expect the Changeling to be nerfed? Probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if, say, that was just a minus one hit from shooting, because most armies have that anyway now. It's not too crazy. I think the minus one to hit shooting and combat is pretty big. Yeah, yeah, agreed, yeah. Oh, it just makes getting through those horror screens so ridiculous. 
Yeah. Um, but, you know, Brimstone's at minus one to hit in combat and shooting and four plus invulnerable is still ridiculously good. Like you said, if you can get ways to buff the leadership and make them immune to morale, oh, they're so annoying to get through. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Brimstone's take another hit because I know they took a hit yeah. well, by going at one point. But they're still probably the most effective screen in the game, just of how durable they are. So if they either go down toughness or the one gets worse, so they're easier to kill in some way, yeah. I think that that kind of do what they needed there. So is there anything else in the new missions that stood out to you? It's like I read the Frontline Warfare one, yeah. where you have an objective and your opponent's worth four, one in yours worth one, two in the middle worth two. Yeah. And I know I've done put this mission in uh, the last couple of Warlords events I've run because it's yep. an AOS mission yes in AOS you score for at the end of your turn for each objective you have okay and I read this I was like oh yeah that's really cool I like that and then read that it was end game I was like ah okay halfway but not quite eh? I think I would have loved that mission to be scoring at the end of each turn I like the one the one that stood out for me was the one where you can um it encourages you to be adventurous. To get into your opponents, you can destroy their objective for endgame by getting close to it if it's in their deployment zone. Uh, the Scorched Earth one. Yeah, I, that, I, is that a similar mechanic for AOS as yeah, well? Yeah, that's a straight copy of a new AOS mission as well, actually. I, I, yeah, and, and I, like, I like that because, again, it encourages people to... You've got to... If you come back to list building, you've got to be able to hold objectives in your zone. You've got to be able to stop people dropping in and burning them. Um, but you want to be able to go and do that to somebody else. You want to be able to create a pocket or clear off an objective. And go in and destroy their objectives because you know, I think in that one is you've got have you got two objectives in your own zones. Um, I think it's three. Oh yeah, do, do, do. Scorched Earth. There you go. Each objective um, is more than, more than twelve from the centre of an objective marker. Six of the battlefield. Yeah, and all six and the six objectives. So if you can find a way to burn your opponent's ones, you can really mess with their plans. So it's it's quite tactical of how do you know what I mean? How do you push and take all the objectives? whilst not letting the opponent burn the ones that normally you might leave like a backfield unit just sitting on. I think OBSEC's also important in this mission now. Well, this, this, is, this is the thing I don't like using. <laughs> yeah, because even if you have a couple of scout squads or something, or something that's a little bit more durable, it yeah. stops your opponent, because most units that are able to push forward and get into your lines aren't going to be OBSEC. Yeah. So if you can have, oh crap, he's coming and got my objective, I've got one guy, I'm OBSEC, it's safe, I've got this. It kind of negates that a little bit. Yeah. I think there's I think there's some really clever combos they could have with these missions by mixing it up with the old and the new Eternal War and Maelstrom. So I'll be interested to see how the tournament scene takes it. I mean it is it is a lot of change, isn't it? I think the the world will be settled when we have all of the books, all the codexes out, and then it'll just be do you know? Do they release supplements that add new aspects to the game? What do they do to push the game forward from there? Hopefully, it'll be narrative things like you know the tease, the lion is sleeping in the rock, and are other primarchs going to return? Because there's so much that they could just add with campaign books and things like that. Yeah, they kind of left a lot of little bits open, and just put the hints and teasers just to getting everyone excited about it, which is good. Yeah, and I think that's, you know what, they have, one of the reasons Games Workshop, I think, does so well is they've got such a great background for 40k. Um, and it's so rich, and it's so filled out now with so many great novels from Black Library and all sorts. You, there's so much that they can draw on. Um, they've just got to put the rules out, they'll match it, and I think we're getting there now. 
So it is also probably worth uh, just mentioning, just to kind of uh, wrap this up, but alongside the two new bits that came out, we also got a FAQ calendar from mm. GW. So if you're planning a list, you kind of know it's not just going to change in a week's time with another big update, because they've said this is when we're doing things. So you're going to have your chapter approved probably around Christmas time every year. That's not been announced, but that's kind of been said here yes. or there. So uh, every March and every September, you're going to have two big FAQs. And that is when your points are going to change for a lot of things and that kind of stuff. So they've basically said, there's to be focused. Anything might emerge as more codexes, more unusual things come into the game. Wider set of FAQs. They'll use these to balance issues. They might have a few changes to rules or other powerful units or change underrepresented units. So that's going to be the big ones. They're going to mix things up. And that's great as well because, you know, if we come to like, to like uh, what, the, the Pyrovore, for example, the, the, the famous Tyrion example of poor unit design, wasn't it, for a long time, where people were like, how and why did they expect this to work? Or a mutilator. Come on. Yeah, there you go. So, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, if they hear that people are not using that but would love to, if the rules actually, you know, supported it a little bit better, they'll make the changes, hopefully, which is great. And, you know, they're so accessible on Facebook now, the community page, and we just, you know, posting questions, posting responses. Yeah, well, this is the big thing, isn't it? They're at events. They're, you can see them. And, they, and I think maybe that they can see things that they don't want in the game. Because yeah, um, they're not just going to events and being there. They've yeah. Blood and Glory. I played Pete Foley, the head of the GW Design Studio. Yeah, I did as well. Yeah, we were talking about loads of random bits and pieces, and it's quite like he didn't give anything away, but I got a bit of insight into how the structure is and how they look at things. Yeah, and that was quite cool. Uh, so as well as that, though, they've also said every time they release a codex, they've not said when they'll be. Unfortunately, I give it two weeks. I'm assuming that's what the little uh, diagram means anyway. And yeah. you're going to get the FAQ, the errata. The they're going to fix things. So Yeah, if they've made a mistake, again, like you, I think like you said earlier, if they've missed it, genuinely they've missed it, they didn't want it to work like that, let's go for it, you know, correct it. Um, so you kind of, you've got two big six-month windows where if you can crack on with a list, you know what you're getting, you're going to get six months to run with it. Yeah, other books are going to come out, probably mess it up, and you'll have to replan for them and... The meta is going to change so much again, but you know you can invest in things now, which is the key thing. Yeah, I, th I think you don't want to. They're not going to invalidate armies, are they, in big sweeping motions? But it's really, I wouldn't. Those there are players who go out and netlist and, and buy the latest gimmick, and then they move to the next gimmick and the next book, and they don't. Do you know what I mean? That's going to be really hard to do, unless you are loaded. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you can afford a new army every event. But like, you know, I like to tweak my own list and add little bits to that. And I think that's going to be the way forward for people that you can build a, an actual army and develop and add new units and explore your codex a little bit more. Yeah, because you do see uh, a lot of people I know will have they'll buy a list for an army, mm. and then they'll sell it and buy another list and sell it by another list. Where, which everyone has their own way of doing things. They might get bored of a playstyle or an army and want to do something different. The way I kind of go about it is, I own a lot of chaos, and Andy's mm. podcast laughs at me because the amount of I've got silly amount of chaos, silly amount of necrons, silly amount of marines, and I just go cool. I want to play one of those armies. I've got uh, probably one of everything 
most of the time more so I can try, I can mix things in, I can do what I want with it. Uh, and I can just kind of play around. Whereas if you just buy a list and you play it and play it, you want to tweak, you have to go buy something else and build it and paint it. And then you, you can grow an army that way and have a lot of mess about with. Mm. But yeah, it's that's a, that's a complete side tangent. That's something completely different. <laughs> hey, that's another podcast right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think on that note, it's probably a good one to leave it. So hopefully it's given people a bit of an insight into what myself and Tony are looking at when we're looking at a list and the kind of thought processes we put into it, which I'm sure everybody's different, but you should just give someone some ideas and it might make someone stop and go, okay, I want to look at that, I'll try that, and hopefully give some people some improvements and some success. I'm sure some people will be aghast, uh, Robert, that we haven't turned around and said that we pick lists based on cool models or that we want to use a particularly cool uh, sculpt or something like that. It does happen that sometimes. Occasionally, like, I do want to put that in my army because well, it's cool. I guess that's kind of why <laughs> I'm, I want to play Chaos because yeah. I've always wanted to play Chaos and something just draws me to the aesthetics and the background and everything. So, cool, I want to play that book. I want to make it the best I can with that book and compete with that rather than just trying to compete with the best at the time, which I'm sure you're the same for Marines. I love Assault Terminators. I think they're amazing. I'm really pleased that I've managed to get a 6th, 7th, 8th a tournament at least once where I've used Assault Terminators to good effect. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a great point. Just, isn't it? Yeah, I've got my unit of 10 that are just like, boys, you're back out of the retirement box. Let's go. So. Oh, I should bring my Heldrakes back. But Do yeah, it. that's a great point. If you've got a unit you want to use, you can make it work. So go make it work. And thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, guys. No worries. Thank you very much, Robbo. And, of course, thank you, Tony Chu, for joining us. Hopefully that will tide you over. Uh, Until we get to Boxing Day, we have got some Heat 2 coverage as well for you. Two parts of that, uh, looking at an interesting list and hopefully speaking with the winner, Max Barton, as well. Uh, So that will be dropping between now and New Year's Eve. More content as well. And as promised in previous episodes, we will be getting back onto the Codex review bandwagon uh, when we reconvene in the new year. So look out for that. I know we've got lots to catch up on. Everything's moving so quickly. It's very exciting. uh, And hopefully you guys will receive loads of cool stuff that you can be building, assembling, and taking a little bit of care painting uh, to get onto the tabletop and use in the new year for 2018's tournament circuit. Don't forget, please, please, please leave us a positive review. It really helps us get out there to more people. So if you use iTunes, leave us a five-star review, leave a positive review, subscribe and follow and all that good stuff. If you want to get in touch, leave us some feedback, uh, critique, uh, or suggest some stuff that you'd like us to talk about, or even just reach out directly and ask us some questions about list building, games, how to deal with certain units or combos in the game. You can do that freely. So uh, the best place to do that is the Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash AOC podcast. We are also on Twitter, uh, which is at Allies Podcast. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas, happy holidays, uh, and we will be back uh, between now and the new year with that He Too coverage.